Welcome to this week in surgery your filtered medical journal summary. Looking to stay up to date with the latest medical research but short on time? This week in surgery has you covered. Our podcast provides you with a convenient, on-the-go solution to keep you informed about the most significant developments in the surgical field. We understand that your time is valuable, so we've done the hard work for you. Each episode offers a filtered and concentrated summary of key journal articles, allowing you to stay informed without the need to sift through pages of research papers. With this week in surgery, listening is faster than reading, and you can consume valuable medical knowledge while commuting, exercising, or during your daily routine, including in the operating room. This week in surgery we will be discussing recently published articles. First, Annals of Surgery. Prognostic Effect of Liver Resection and Extended Cholecystectomy for T2 Gallbladder Cancer Revisited, a Retrospective Cohort Study with Propensity Score Matched Analysis. Objective. This study aimed to evaluate the effect of liver resection on the prognosis of T2 gallbladder cancer, GBC. Background. Although extended cholecystectomy, lymph node dissection, LND, plus liver resection, is recommended for T2 GBC, recent studies have shown that liver resection does not improve survival outcomes relative to LND alone. Methods. Patients with PT2GBC who underwent extended cholecystectomy as an initial procedure and did not reoperation after cholecystectomy at three tertiary referral hospitals between January 2010 and December 2020 were analyzed. Extended cholecystectomy was defined as either LND with liver resection, LND plus L group, or LND only, LND group. We conducted 2 to 1 propensity score matching to compare the survival outcomes of the groups. Results of the 197 patients enrolled, 100 patients from the LND plus L group and 50 from the LND group were successfully matched. The LND plus L group experienced greater estimated blood loss, P less than 0.001, and a longer postoperative hospital stay, P equals 0.047. There was no significant difference in the five-year disease-free survival, DFS, of the two groups, versus 77.9%, respectively, P equals 0.376. A subgroup analysis showed that the five-year DFS was similar in the two groups in both T-substages, T2A, 77.8% versus 81.8%, respectively, P equals 0.988, T2B, 88.1% versus 71.5%, respectively, P equals 0.196. In a multivariable analysis, lymph node metastasis, hazard ratio, HR, 4.80, P equals 0.006, and paraneural invasion, HR 2.61, P equals 0.047, were independent risk factors for DFS, liver resection was not a prognostic factor, HR 0.68, P equals 0.381. Conclusions Extended cholecystectomy including LND without liver resection may be a reasonable treatment option for selected T2GBC patients. Feasibility and safety of a shared care model in complex hepatopancreatic biliary surgery, a five-year observational study of outcomes in pancreatic aduodenectomy. Objective to determine the safety of a fully functioning shared care model, SCM, in hepatopancreatobiliary surgery through evaluating outcomes in pancreatic aduodenectomy. Background SCMs, 
We're a team of surgeons share in care delivery and resource utilization, represent a surgeon-level opportunity to improve system efficiency and peer support, but concerns around clinical safety remain, especially in complex elective surgery. Methods Patients who underwent pancreatic aduodenectomy between 2016 and 2020 were included. Adoption of shared care was demonstrated by analyzing shared care measures, including the number of surgeons encountered by patients during their care cycle, the proportion of patients with different consenting versus primary operating surgeon, POS, and the proportion of patients who met their POS on the day of surgery. Outcomes, including 30-day mortality, readmission, unplanned reoperation, sepsis, and length of stay, were collected from the institution's National Surgical Quality Improvement Program, SCUP, database and compared with peer hospitals contributing to the pancreatectomy-specific NSCUP collaborative. Results Of the 174 patients included, a median of three surgeons was involved throughout the patient's care cycle, 69.0% of patients had different consenting versus POS and 57.5% met their POS on the day of surgery. Major outcomes, including mortality, 1.1%, sepsis, 5.2%, and reoperation, 7.5%, were comparable between the study group and Skapir hospitals. Length of stay, 10-day, was higher in place of lower readmission, 13.2%, in the study group compared with peer hospitals. Conclusions SCMs are feasible in complex elective surgery without compromising patient outcomes, and wider adoption may be encouraged. Risk Models for Developing Pancreatic Fistula After Pancreatoduodenectomy, Validation in a Nationwide Prospective Cohort Objective To evaluate the performance of published fistula risk models by external validation, and to identify independent risk factors for postoperative pancreatic fistula, POPF. Background Multiple risk models have been developed to predict POP after pancreatoduodenectomy. External validation in high-quality prospective cohorts is, however, lacking or only performed for individual models. Methods A post-hoc analysis of data from the step-wedge cluster-cluster randomized care after pancreatic resection according to an algorithm for early detection and minimally invasive management of pancreatic fistula versus current practice, Porsche, trial was performed. Included were all patients undergoing pancreatoduodenectomy in the Netherlands, January 2018 November 2019. Risk models on POP were identified by a systematic literature search. Model performance was evaluated by calculating the area under the receiver operating curves, AUC, and calibration plots. Multivariable logistic regression was performed to identify independent risk factors associated with clinically relevant POP. Results Overall, 1,358 patients undergoing pancreatoduodenectomy were included, of whom 341 patients, 25%, developed clinically relevant POP. 14 risk models for POP were evaluated, with AUCs ranging from 0.62 to 0.70. The updated alternative fistula risk score had an AUC of 0.70, 95% confidence intervals, C, 0.69 to 0.72. The alternative fistula risk score demonstrated an AUC of 0.70, 95% C, 0.689 to 0.71, whilst an AUC of 0.70, 95% C, 
0.699-0.71, was also found for the model by Petrova and colleagues. Soft pancreatic texture, pathology other than pancreatic ductal adenocarcinoma or chronic pancreatitis, small pancreatic duct diameter, higher body mass index, minimally invasive resection and male sex were identified as independent predictors of POP. Conclusion Published risk models predicting clinically relevant POP after pancreatic duodenectomy have a moderate predictive accuracy. Their clinical applicability to identify high-risk patients and guide treatment strategies is therefore questionable. Long-term survival, quality of life, and molecular features of the patients with solid pseudopapillary neoplasm of the pancreas, a retrospective study of 454 cases. Objective To present comprehensive information on the clinico-pathological, molecular, survival characteristics, and quality of life, QOL, after surgery for solid pseudopapillary neoplasm, SPN, of the pancreas in a large cohort after long-term follow-up. Background SPN is a rare tumor with an uncertain malignant potential, and solid information on long-term prognosis and call remains limited. Methods All hospitalized patients with SPNs who underwent surgery between 2001 and 2021 at the Peking Union Medical College Hospital were retrospectively reviewed. The clinico-pathological characteristics of the patients were retrieved. A cross-sectional telephone questionnaire was administered to inquire about the call. Molecular analyses were performed using whole exome sequencing. Results Exactly 454 patients with SPN were enrolled, of whom 18.5% were males and 81.5% were females. The mean patient age was 31 plus or minus 12 years. In total, 61.3% of the patients had no symptoms. The size of the tumors was 5.38 plus or minus 3.70 centimeters. 83.4% were solid cystic tumors, and 40.1% had calcifications. The proportions of local resection, distal pancreatectomy with or without splenectomy, and pancreatic aduodenectomy with or without pylorus preservation were 29.7%, 28.9% or 22.9%, and 11% or 6.8%, respectively. Over the years, there has been a significant shift from open to minimally invasive surgery. Among all surgical procedures, pylorus-preserving pancreatic aduodenectomy, PPPD, had the highest incidence of grade 2 to 4 complications, up to 32.3%, compared with 6.7% in distal pancreatectomy, P less than 0.001. Regarding histopathology, tissue invasion, paraneural invasion, cancerous microvascular emboli, lymph node metastasis, and distant metastasis were present in 16.5%, 2.2%, 0.7%, 2.0%, and 3.1% of patients, respectively. 60 patients were lost to follow-up. 16 of the 390 patients who underwent resection, 4.1%, experienced local recurrence or distant metastasis after surgery. In total, 361 patients responded to the telephone survey. Nearly 80% of patients claimed their call was not significantly affected after surgery, however, the remaining 20% complained of lower call during 3-6 to six years of follow-up after surgery. No clinicopathological factor could reliably predict clinical recurrence or metastasis after resection. 
A total of 28 driver genes were detected with mutations in at least two tumor samples and the top three frequently mutated genes were CTNNB1, Atrinal1, and MUC16. Conclusions This study presented the largest cohort of patients with SPN after surgery from a single center and reported the call of these patients. SPN is associated with extremely favorable long-term survival, even in patients with metastasis, and most patients have a good call after surgery. Increasing Systemic Immune Inflammation Index During Treatment in Patients with Advanced Pancreatic Cancer is Associated with Poor Survival, a Retrospective, Multicenter, Cohort Study. Background and Objectives A High Systemic Immune Inflammation Index, SIII, at Diagnosis of Various Cancers, Including Pancreatic Cancer, is Associated with Poor Prognosis. The Impact of Fofurinox, 5-Fluorouracil, Leucovorin, Arenotecan, and oxaliplatin, chemotherapy or stereotactic body radiotherapy on this index is unknown. In addition, the prognostic value of changes in the SAI during treatment is unclear. In this retrospective analysis, we aim to find answers regarding patients with advanced pancreatic cancer. Methods Patients with advanced pancreatic cancer treated with fofurinox chemotherapy alone or with fofurinox chemotherapy followed by stereotactic body radiotherapy between 2015 and 2021 and two tertiary referral centers were included. Baseline characteristics, laboratory values at three time points during treatment, and survival outcomes were collected. The patient-specific evolutions of SAI and their association with mortality were assessed with joint models for longitudinal and time-to-event data. Results. Data of 141 patients were analyzed. At a median follow-up time of 23.0 months, 95% C, 14.6 to 31.3, 97, 69% patients had died. Median overall survival was 13.2 months, 95% C, 11.0 to 15.5. During treatment with Fofurinox, the log, SIII, was reduced by minus 0.588, 95% C, minus 0.0978, minus 0.197, P equals 0.003. One unit increase in log, SIII, increased the hazard ratio of dying by 1.604, 95% C, 1.068 to 2.409, P equals 0.023. Conclusions in addition to carbohydrate antigen 19 to 9, the SAI is a reliable biomarker in patients with advanced pancreatic cancer. Impact of propofol-based total intravenous anesthesia versus inhalation anesthesia on long-term survival after cancer surgery in a nationwide cohort. Objective to compare the impact of propofol-based total intravenous anesthesia, TIVA, versus inhalational anesthesia, YA, on the overall survival following cancer surgery. Background The association between intraoperative anesthetics and patients' long-term outcomes following cancer surgery remains controversial. Methods This retrospective cohort study used nationwide data from the Korean National Health Insurance Service. Adult patients who underwent cancer resection surgery, breast, gastric, lung, liver, kidney, 
colorectal, pancreatic, esophageal, and bladder cancer, under general anesthesia between January 2007 and December 2016 were included. Patients were divided into propofol-based TIVA or YAW groups according to the type of anesthesia received. A total of 312,985 patients, 37,063 in the propofol-based TIVA group and 275,922 patients in the YAW group, were eligible for analysis. The primary outcome was the comparison of overall survival following surgery between the groups in each cancer type. We compared the all-cause mortality between the two groups, stratified by cancer type using time-dependent Cox regression after propensity score based inverse probability of treatment weighting. We further examined the comparison of overall survival in a meta-analysis using data from our study and previously published data comparing propofol-based TIVA with YA after cancer surgery. Results The number of deaths in the propofol-based TIVA and YA groups was 5,037, 13.6%, and 45,904, 16.6%, respectively, the median, interquartile range, Follow-up duration was 1,192, 637 to 2011 days. Multivariable Cox proportional hazards regression analysis revealed no significant association between the type of general anesthesia and overall survival after cancer surgery in the weighted cohort for each cancer type, all p greater than 0.05, and for total population, adjusted hazard ratio, HR, 0.98, 95% confidence interval, C, 0.93 to 1.04. In a meta-analysis, single-center studies showed higher overall survival in the TIVA group than in the YA group, pooled adjusted HR, 0.65, 95% C, 0.47 to 0.91, P equals 0.01, while multi-center studies showed insignificant pooled adjusted HRs, pooled adjusted HR, 1.05, 95% C, 0.82 to 1.33, p equals 0.71. Conclusions There is no association between the type of general anesthesia used during cancer surgery and postoperative overall, 1, and 5-year survival. Parathyroidectomy and the risk of major cerebrovascular and cardiovascular events in the elderly. Objective We aim to determine the incidence of major cardiovascular and cerebrovascular events in elderly patients with primary hyperparathyroidism, PHPT, and the impact of parathyroidectomy. Summary Background Data PHPT is underdiagnosed and undertreated in the United States. It is associated with increased cardiovascular disease risk, but its association with cerebrovascular disease risk is not well established. It is also unknown if parathyroidectomy reduces these risks. Methods The incidence of major cerebrovascular and cardiovascular events in 108,869 patients with PHPT diagnosed in the Medicare database between 2008 and 2018 and a match comparison group of 1,088,690 Medicare subjects was prospectively evaluated. We estimated hazard ratios, HR, for the association of PHPT and parathyroidectomy for the risk of these outcomes from Cox proportional hazards models. Survival curves were calculated to obtain 5-year disease-free survival estimates. Results For patients with PHPT, 5-year disease-free survival was lower, 
and HRs were higher than the comparison group for any outcome, 75.9% versus 78.4, HR 1.11, 95% confidence interval, C, 1.09 to 1.13, major cerebrovascular events, 84.5% versus 86.3%, HR 1.14, 95% C 1.12 to 1.17, and major cardiovascular events, 87.7% versus 88.8%, HR 1.06, 95% C 1.03 to 1.08. However, in patients who had parathyroidectomy, the risks of major cerebrovascular and cardiovascular events did not differ from the comparison cohort. The lower risk in patients who had parathyroidectomy was maintained in subgroup analyses. Conclusions Older patients with PHPT have an increased risk of major cerebrovascular and cardiovascular events compared with patients without the disease. Physicians treating older patients with primary hyperparathyroidism should consider parathyroidectomy. Next article is from Journal of American Medical Association Surgery. Clinical Outcomes After Traumatic Brain Injury and Exposure to Extracranial Surgery Attract TBI Study Objective to examine whether exposure to extracranial, EC, surgery and anesthesia is related to worse functional and cognitive outcomes after TBI. Design, setting, and participants This study was a retrospective, secondary analysis of data from the Transforming Research and Clinical Knowledge in Traumatic Brain Injury, TRAC TBI, study, a prospective cohort study that assessed longitudinal outcomes of participants enrolled at 18-level IUS trauma centers between February 1, 2014, and August 31, 2018. Participants were 17 years or older, presented within 24 hours of trauma, were admitted to an inpatient unit from the emergency department, had known Glasgow Coma Scale, GCS, and had computed tomography, CT, status, and did not undergo cranial surgery. This analysis was conducted between January 2, 2020, and August 8, 2023. Exposure participants who underwent EC surgery during the index admission were compared with participants with no surgery in groups with a peripheral orthopedic injury or a TBI and were classified as having an uncomplicated mild TBI, GCS score of 13 to 15 and negative CT results, CT minus MTBI, complicated mild TBI. GCS score of 13 to 15 and positive CT results, CT plus MTBI, or moderate to severe TBI, GCS score of 3 to 12, M slash B. Main outcomes and measures the primary outcomes were functional limitations quantified by the Glasgow Outcome Scale extended for all injuries, GOZA all and brain injury, GOZA TBI and neurocognitive outcomes at 2 weeks and 6 months after injury. Results a total of 1835 participants, Mean, SD, age, 42.2, 17.8, years, 1,279, 70%, male, 299 black, 1,412 white, and 96 other were analyzed, including 1,349 non-surgical participants and 486 participants undergoing EC surgery. The participants undergoing EC surgery across all TBI severities had significantly worse GOZA all scores at two weeks and six months compared with their non-surgical counterparts. At six months after injury, 
M slash SPI and CT plus MTBI participants who underwent EC surgery had significantly worse GOZA TBI scores, B equals minus 1.11, 95% C, minus 1.53 to minus 0.68, in participants with M slash SPI and minus 0.39, 95% C, minus 0.77 to minus 0.01, in participants with CT plus MTBI, and performed worse on the trail making test part B. B equals 30.1, 95% C, 11.9 to 48.2, in participants with M slash B and 26.3, 95% C, 11.3 to 41.2, in participants with CT plus MTBI. Conclusions and relevance This study found that exposure to EC surgery and anesthesia was associated with adverse functional outcomes and impaired executive function after TBI. This unfavorable association warrants further investigation of the potential mechanisms and clinical implications that could inform decisions regarding the timing of surgical interventions in patients after TBI. Benign breast disease and breast cancer risk in the percutaneous biopsy era. Objectives to estimate BC risk associated with BBD in the percutaneous biopsy era irrespective of surgical biopsy. Design, setting, and participants in this retrospective cohort study, BBD biopsy specimens collected from January 1, 2002, to December 31, 2013, from patients with BBD at Mayo Clinic in Rochester, Minnesota, were reviewed by two pathologists masked to outcomes. Women were followed up from six months after biopsy until censoring, BC Diagnosis, or December 31, 2021. Exposure Benign Breast Disease Classification at Multiplicity by Pathology Panel Review. Main Outcomes The main outcome was diagnosis of BC overall and stratified as ductal carcinoma in situ, DCIS, or invasive BC. Risk for presence versus absence of BBD lesions was assessed by Cox Proportional Hazards Regression. Risk in patients with BBD compared with female breast cancer incidence rates from the Iowa Surveillance, Epidemiology, and End Results, SEER, program were estimated. Results among 4,819 female participants, median age was 51 years, IQR, 43 to 62 years. Median follow-up was 10.9 years, IQR, 7.7 to 14.2 years, for control individuals without BC versus 6.6 years, IQR, 3.7 to 10.1 years, for patients with BC. Risk was higher in the cohort with BBD than in SEER data, BC overall, standard incidence ratio, SIR, 1.95, 95% C, 1.76 to 2.17, invasive BC, SIR, 1.56, 95% C, 1.37 to 1.70 and CIS, SIR, 3.10, 95% C, 2.54 to 3.77. The SIRS increased with increasing BBD severity, 1.42, 95% C, 1.19 to 1.71, for NP, 2.19, 95% C, 1.88 to 2.54, for PDWA and 3.91, 95% C, 2.97 to 5.14, for AH, comparable to surgical cohorts with BBD. Risk also increased with increasing lesion multiplicity, SIR, 2.40, 95% C, 2.06 to 2.79,
for greater than or equal to 3 foci of NP, 3.72, 95% C, 2.31 to 5.99, for greater than or equal to 3 foci of PDWA and 5.29, 95% C, 3.37 to 8.29, for greater than or equal to 3 foci of A. 10-year BC cumulative incidence was 4.3% for NP, 6.6% for PDWA, and 14.6% for A versus an expected population cumulative incidence of 2.9%. Conclusions and relevance in this contemporary cohort study of women diagnosed with BBD in the percutaneous biopsy era, overall risk of BC was increased versus the general population, cis and invasive cancer combined, similar to that in historical BBD cohorts. Development and validation of pathologic classifications including both BBD severity and elpiplicity may enable improved BC risk stratification. Next article is from British Journal of Surgery. Improving communication and patient information recall via a question prompt list, randomized clinical trial. Background. Patient-surgeon communication is an important component of the success of a consultation and is known to impact patient outcomes. The aim of this study was to investigate whether a document called a question prompt list, containing suggested questions that a patient may like to ask their doctor, improves communication. Methods. A prospective RCT was conducted from October 2021 to October 2022 at the Queen Elizabeth Hospital, Adelaide, Australia. Patients 16 years or older, seeing a general surgeon for a pre-surgical consultation, not requiring a translator, were randomized to receive a question prompt list, intervention, or standard care without a question prompt list, control. The primary outcomes were number of questions asked, talk time, and mutual eye gaze. Secondary outcomes were patient recall of information, anxiety, and consultation duration. Randomization was achieved using a computer program, with allocation concealment by opaque sequentially numbered envelopes. Patients were blinded to study group, surgeons were aware of study group, but blinded to outcomes. Results Patients, 59, were randomly allocated to receive the question prompt list, 31, or to the control group, 28. A patient from the intervention group withdrew before consultation, resulting in 58 patients being included in the analysis. In the question prompt list consultations, 24% more questions were asked, incidence rate ratio equals 1.25, 95% CI 1.10 to 1.42, T equals 0.001. The intervention group recalled 9% more items than the control group, incidence rate ratio equals 1.09, 95% CI 1.02 to 1.17, P equals 0.012. The control group were 26% less likely to correctly recall information about surgical treatment, or equals 0.26, 95% CI 0.10 to 0.68, P equals 0.006. No statistically significant differences between study arms for talk time, mutual eye gaze, anxiety, or consultation duration were demonstrated. Conclusion the question prompt list was associated with increased question asking and greater patient recall of medical information. It did not increase patient anxiety or consultation duration.
Endoscopic Surgical Skill Qualification System, Propensity Score Match Cohort Analysis of Accredited Supervisors in Laparoscopic Rectal Cancer Surgery. Background The Endoscopic Surgical Skill Qualification System, ESCS, in Japan evaluates the surgical skills required for laparoscopic surgery as an operator as well as a supervisor. This study aimed to demonstrate the benefits of an ISC-certified surgeon's participation in laparoscopic rectal resections as a supervisor, assistant or advisor. Methods We retrospectively reviewed laparoscopic resection results for C-stage 2 and 3 rectal cancer performed at 56 Japanese hospitals between 2014 and 2016. We used propensity score matching to generate paired cohorts with or without an ISC-certified supervisor at a 1-to-1 ratio. The impact of ISC-certified supervisors' participation on short-term outcomes was assessed. In the match cohort, multivariable logistic regression analysis and multivariable regression analysis of postoperative complication rate and intraoperative blood loss were performed to further mitigate the impact of pathological factors. Results Two groups, N equals 399 each, with or without an ISC-certified supervisor were well matched by clinical factors. The group with an ISC-certified supervisor had lower blood loss, 68 milliliters versus 98 milliliters, P equals 0.036, and a lower incidence of severe morbidities of clavin dindo grade greater than or equal taia, 8.0% versus 13.3%, P equals 0.016. Multivariable logistic regression analysis and multivariable regression analysis confirmed that the attendance of ISC-certified supervisors reduced postoperative complication occurrence, adjusted odds ratio, 2.28, 95% confidence interval, 1.38 to 3.80, P equals 0.001, and intraoperative blood loss, estimated difference, minus 15.7 milliliters, P equals 0.016. Conclusion This study demonstrated the educational benefits of ISC certified supervisors, including assistants and advisors, evidenced by their superior short-term outcomes. Prospective multicenter study of indications for surgery in patients with idiopathic acute pancreatitis following endoscopic ultrasonography, PICUS background. Cholecystectomy in patients with idiopathic acute pancreatitis, IAP, is controversial. A randomized trial found cholecystectomy to reduce the recurrence rate of IAP, but did not include preoperative endoscopic ultrasonography, EUS. As use is effective in detecting gallstone disease, Cholecystectomy may be indicated only in patients with gallstone disease. This study aimed to determine the diagnostic value of use in patients with IAP and the rate of recurrent pancreatitis in patients in whom use could not determine the etiology, use negative IAP. Methods This prospective multicenter cohort study included patients with a first episode of IAP who underwent outpatient use. The primary outcome was detection of etiology by use. Secondary outcomes included adverse events after use, recurrence of pancreatitis, and quality of life during one-year follow-up. Results After screening 957 consecutive patients with acute pancreatitis from 24 centers, 105 patients with IAP were included and underwent use. In 34 patients, 32% use detected an etiology, microlithiasis and biliary sludge, 23.8%, chronic pancreatitis, 
6.7%, and neoplasms, 2.9%. Two of the latter patients underwent pancreatic duodenectomy. During one-year follow-up, the pancreatitis recurrence rate was 17%, 12 of 71, among patients with used negative IAP versus 6%, 2 of 34, among those with positive use. Recurrent pancreatitis was associated with poorer quality of life. Conclusion Use detected an etiology in a one-third of patients with a first episode of IAP, requiring mostly cholecystectomy or pancreatic duodenectomy. The role of cholecystectomy in patients with use negative IAP remains uncertain and warrants further study. Next article is from Journal of Vascular Surgery. One-year results of a balloon expandable endoprosthesis as a bridging stent for branched endovascular aortic repair. Objective. This post-market multicenter registry aimed to evaluate the safety and performance of the Gore-Viabon VBX balloon expandable endoprosthesis, VBX stent, implanted in peripheral vessels. In this subgroup analysis, we assess the outcomes of the VBX stent as a bridging stent graft for visceral vessels during branched endovascular aortic repair at one year. Methods A single cohort from a prospective, multicenter, observational, 16-site European registry. Patients were enrolled from November 2018 to March 2022. Endpoints included one-year primary patency, PP, primary assisted patency, PAP, and secondary patency, SP, stent graft-related death and serious adverse events through 30 days. Results 73 patients were enrolled in this registry sub-cohort, 57, 78.1%, or male, and the mean age was 73 plus or minus 8.1 years. Thoracoabdominal aneurysms predominated the cohort with 68 patients, 93.2%, followed by 5 patients, 6.8%, with pararenal and infrarenal aneurysms. Overall, 233 target vessels were treated with the index bridging graft. The overall per stent graft analysis demonstrated a PP of 95.8% one year, PAP was 95.8%, and SP reached 97.9%. The per-target vessel analysis demonstrated a PP, PAP, and SP in the celiac trunk of 100%, 100%, and 100%, in the superior mesenteric artery of 96.0%, 96.0%, and 100%, and in the renal arteries of 94.2%, 94.2%, and 95.1%, respectively. Four patients, 5%, died at one year. None of the deaths were device-related. The composite endpoint of target vessel technical success and freedom from VBX stent-related serious adverse events through 30 days was achieved in 98.6% of patients. Conclusions In this prospective post-market multicenter registry, the VBX stent demonstrated excellent results at one year, with almost 96% primary patency and 98% secondary patency. Patency in the renal arteries seems to be lower. Nevertheless, the VBX stent appears to be a reliable bridging stent for branched endovascular aortic repair. Open and endovascular reinterventions after candy plug false lumen embolization of type B aortic dissection. Objective 
In the majority of patients with chronic type B aortic dissection, there is persistent retrograde flow in the false lumen, FL, through distal reentry tears. Among several endovascular techniques proposed for FL management, the candy plug, CP, technique has gained acceptance with good early results. The aim of this study is to report the types and outcomes of open and endovascular reinterventions and identify mechanisms of procedure failure as well as other causes for reinterventions. Methods all patients with type B aortic dissection submitted to thoracic endovascular aneurysm repair and CP implantation for FL embolization from January 2016 to December 2022 at our institution were included in this study. The preoperative, intraoperative, and postoperative data of the primary intervention and secondary reinterventions, when performed, were prospectively collected and retrospectively analyzed. Preoperative and postoperative computed tomography angiography were also analyzed. Results During the study period, 33 patients were submitted to thoracic endovascular aneurysm repair and CP implantation. 23 patients, 69.7%, showed thoracic FL complete thrombosis with aortic stability or positive remodeling at a mean follow-up of 45 plus or minus 23.1 months. 10 patients, 30.3%, underwent aortic reinterventions, male and equals 9, mean age, 60.5 plus or minus 7.6 years. Of these 10 patients, in 4 patients, complete thrombosis of the FL was never achieved, leading to ongoing perfusion of the FL, defined as primary failure. The other 6 patients underwent reinterventions for different causes, 2 patients, after initial sealing, showed a progressive enlargement of the abdominal FL leading to distal degeneration. One patient showed proximal degeneration, two patients showed a type 2 thoracoabdominal aortic aneurysm and CP implantation was used as a planned procedure to reduce the extent of the surgical procedure, and one patient had recurrent, intractable back pain despite complete thrombosis of the FL. Reinterventions were open in five cases and endovascular in five. One in hospital death, Postoperative day 27, after a type 2 thoracoabdominal aortic aneurysm open repair was recorded. In addition, two cases of delayed spinal cord ischemia after open reintervention were recorded, one resulting in permanent paraplegia and one transitory with complete recovery. Conclusions The CP technique was safe and effective, however, a significant rate of aortic related reintervention was observed. Several mechanisms led to reinterventions either in terms of primary failure of the CP or subsequent aneurysmal degeneration. Complex reinterventions were often necessary, with a high rate of major complications in case of open repair. Lifelong and closer surveillance might be required in these patients. Therapeutic anticoagulation after index peripheral endovascular intervention in patients with claudication. Objective. Antiplatelet agents are commonly used after peripheral endovascular intervention, PVI. However, the effect of full-dose anticoagulation on outcomes after PVI is not well established. We sought to investigate whether full-dose anticoagulation after PVI is associated with adverse events. Methods. We utilized the Vascular Quality Initiative to study patients undergoing index PVI for claudication, 2010-2019, stratified by the presence or absence of an anticoagulant on discharge. The primary outcomes were two-year patency, major adverse limb events, 
MALE, and mortality. We built a propensity score adjusting for comorbidities and employed inverse probability weighting to estimate the association of anticoagulation with outcomes. Results We identified 26,240 patients, 9.1% were discharged on an anticoagulant. Patients receiving any anticoagulation had a significantly higher risk of mortality, adjusted hazard ratio R, 1.61, 95% confidence interval, C, 1.35 to 1.92, but not male or patency loss. Patients receiving a vitamin K antagonist had a significantly higher risk of patency loss, R, 1.32, 95% C, 1.09 to 1.60, male R, 1.33, 95% C, 1.13 to 1.57, and mortality, R, 1.46, 95% C, 1.27 to 1.69. Patients on an oral factor SA inhibitors had a significantly lower risk of patency loss, R, 0.61, 95% C, 0.41 to 0.93, but increased mortality, R, 1.51, 95% C, 1.19 to 1.92. Conclusions Therapeutic anticoagulation after PVI is associated with higher risk of all-cause mortality. Although oral factor SA inhibitors are associated with decreased risk of patency loss, vitamin K antagonists are associated with higher risk of patency loss, male, and death. Further prospective studies are necessary to study the safety and efficacy of full-dose anticoagulation after PVI. Association between readmission care fragmentation and outcomes after interventions for peripheral arterial disease. Objective. Lower extremity revascularization, LER, for peripheral artery disease is complicated by the frequent need for readmission. However, it is unclear if readmission to a non-index LER facility, e, a facility different from the one where the LER was performed, compared with the index LER facility is associated with worse outcomes. Methods. This was a national cohort study of older adults who underwent open, endovascular, or hybrid LER for peripheral artery disease, January 1, 2010, to December 31, 2018, in the Vascular Quality Initiative who were readmitted within 90 days of their vascular procedure. This dataset was linked to Medicare claims and the American Hospital Association Annual Survey. The primary outcome was 90-day mortality and the secondary outcome was major amputation at 90 days after LER. The primary exposure was the location of the first readmission after LER, categorized as occurring at the index LER facility versus a non-index LER facility. Generalized estimating equations logistic regression models were used to assess the association between readmission location and 90-day mortality and amputation. Results Among 42,429 patients who underwent LER, 33.0% were readmitted within 90 days. Of those who were readmitted, 27.3% were readmitted to a non-index LER facility, and 42.2% of all readmissions were associated with procedure-related complications. Compared with patients readmitted to the index LER facility, those readmitted to a non-index facility had a lower proportion of procedure-related reasons for readmission, 21.5% versus 50.1%, t less than 0.001. Most of the patients readmitted to a non-index LER facility lived further than 31 miles from the index LER facility, 
39.2% versus 19.6%, p less than 0.001, and were readmitted to a facility with a total bed size of less than 250, 60.1% versus 11.9%, p less than 0.001. Readmission to a non-indexler facility was not associated with 90-day mortality or 90-day amputation. However, readmission for a procedure-related complication was associated with major amputation, 90-day amputation, adjusted odds ratio, 3.33, 95% confidence interval, 2.89 to 3.82. Conclusions Readmission after LUR for a procedure-related complication is associated with subsequent amputation. This finding suggests that quality improvement efforts should focus on understanding various types of procedure-related failure after LUR and its role in limb salvage. Next article is from Annals of Surgical Oncology. Readability Analysis of Online Breast Cancer Surgery Patient Education Materials from National Cancer Institute Designated Cancer Centers Compared with Top Internet Search Results Background The National Institutes of Health, NIH, recommends patient education materials reflect the average reading grade level of the U.S. population. Due to the importance of shared decision-making in breast cancer surgery, This study evaluates the reading level of patient education materials from National Cancer Institute Designated Cancer Centers, NCIDCC, compared with top internet search results. Methods Online materials from NCIDCC and top internet search results on breast cancer, staging, surgical options, and pre- and post-operative expectations were analyzed using three validated readability algorithms, simplified measure of gobbledygook readability formula, Coleman Leout Index and Flesh Kincaid Grade Level. Mean readability was compared across source groups and information subcategories using an unpaired t-test with statistical significance set at p less than 0.05. Mean readability was compared using a one-way analysis of variance. Results. Mean readability scores from NCIDCC and internet groups ranged from a 9th-12th grade level significantly above the NIH-recommended reading level of 6th-7th grade. There was no significant difference between reading levels from the two sources. The discrepancy between actual and recommended reading level was most pronounced for surgical options at a 10th-12th grade level from both sources. Conclusions Patient education materials on breast cancer from both NCIDCC and top internet search results were written several reading grade levels higher than the NIH recommendation. Materials should be revised to enhance patient comprehension of breast cancer surgical treatment and guide patients in this important decision-making process to ultimately improve health outcomes. Impact of successful implementation of an enhanced recovery after surgery protocol for patients undergoing cytoreductive surgery and hyperthermic intraperitoneal chemotherapy. Background Cytoreductive surgery and hyperthermic intraperitoneal chemotherapy, CRS-HIPEC, are complex operations for the treatment of peritoneal metastases. Enhanced recovery after surgery, ERAS, protocols are intended to standardize preoperative, intraoperative, and postoperative pathways, with the goal of improving patient care. 
This study describes feasibility and outcomes after implementing an ERAS protocol for CRS-HIPEC at a tertiary academic center. Methods A single institution experience of CRS-HIPEC was reviewed from January 2020 to March 2023. Patients were categorized according to whether they underwent CRS-HIPEC before or after ERAS initiation. Outcomes and protocol adherence were evaluated. Results A total of 115 CRS-HIPEC operations were included, 74 before and 41 after ERAS implementation. Median age was younger in the post-ERAS group, whereas sex, comorbidities, peritoneal carcinomatosis index, operation performed, and operative time were similar between groups. The most common primary cancer sites were gynecologic, 40%, appendiceal, 24%, and colorectal, 22%. Adherence to all postoperative ERAS components was 76%. More post-ERAS patients ambulated by postoperative day, POD, 1, 90% versus 54%, P less than 0.001, tolerated liquid diet by POD 2, 88% versus 32%, P less than 0.001, and had fully removed by POD 3, 86% versus 43%, P less than 0.001. There was a trend toward decreased length of stay in the post-ERAS cohort, 7 versus 8 days, P equals 0.092, with no difference in major complications, intensive care unit admission, or 30-day readmission. Conclusions Despite the heterogeneity of CRS-HIPEC operations, implementing an ERAS protocol for our patients was feasible and resulted in postoperative outcomes and adherence comparable with that of other major abdominal surgeries. This supports the potential for success in ERAS programs for CRS-HIPEC patients. Next article is from Obesity Surgery. Development and Validation of a Novel Hollow Viscous Injury Prediction Score for Abdominal Seatbelt Sign, a Pacific Coast Surgical Association Multicenter Study. Background. High-quality CT can exclude hollow viscous injury, HVI, in patients with abdominal seatbelt sign, SBS, but performs poorly at identifying HVI. Delay in diagnosis of HVI has significant consequences necessitating timely identification. Study design. This multicenter, prospective observational study conducted at nine trauma centers between August 2020 and October 2021 included adult trauma patients with abdominal SBS who underwent abdominal CT before surgery. HVI was determined intraoperatively in physiologic, examination, laboratory, and imaging findings were collected. Least absolute shrinkage and selection operator and probe at regression selected predictor variables and coefficients were used to assign integer points for the HVI score. Validation was performed by comparing the area under receiver operating curves, or OC. Results Analysis included 473 in the development set and 203 in the validation set. The HVI score includes initial systolic blood pressure less than 110 mm of mercury, abdominal tenderness, guarding, and select abdominal CT findings. The derivation set has an OROC of 0.96, and the validation set has an OROC of 0.91. The HVI score ranges from 0 to 17 with score 0 to 5 having an HVI risk of 0.03% to 5.36%, 
6 to 9 having a risk of 10.65% to 44.1%, and 10 to 17 having a risk of 58.59% to 99.72%. Conclusions This multicenter study developed and validated a novel HVI score incorporating readily available physiologic, examination, and CT findings to risk stratify patients with an abdominal SBS. The HVI score can be used to guide decisions regarding management of a patient with an abdominal SBS and suspected HVI. Cumulative sum chart as complement to objective assessment of graduating surgical resident competency, an exploratory study. Background Rater-based assessment and objective assessment play an important role in evaluating residents' clinical competencies. We hypothesize that a cumulative sum, CUSM, chart of operative time is a complement to the assessment of chief general surgery residents' competencies with IG milestones, aiding residency programs determination of graduating residents' practice readiness. Study design We extracted IG milestone evaluations of performance of operations and procedures, POP, and three objective metrics, operative time, case type, and case complexity, from three procedures, cholecystectomy, colectomy, and inguinal hernia, performed by three cohorts of residents, and equals 15, during their PGY-45. Cousin charts were computed for each resident on each procedure type. A learning plateau was defined as at least four cases consistently locating around the centerline, target performance, at the end of a CUSM chart with minimal deviations, range 0 to 1. Results All residents reached the IGM graduation targets for the overall POP by the end of chief year. A total of 2,446 cases were included, colecystectomy N equals 1,234, colectomy N equals 507, and inguinal hernia N equals 705, and three CUSM chart patterns emerged, skewed distribution, bimodal distribution, and peaks and valleys distribution. Analysis of CUSM charts revealed surgery residents' development processes and the operating room towards a learning plateau vary, and only 46.7% residents reach a learning plateau in all three procedures upon graduation. Conclusions CUSM charts of operative time complement the ICM milestones evaluations. The use of both may enable residency programs to holistically determine graduating residents' practice readiness and provide recommendations for their upcoming career-slash-practice transition. Next article is from Journal of Trauma and Acute Care Surgery. Injury Pattern and Clinical Outcome in Patients with and Without Chest Wall Injury After Cardiopulmonary Resuscitation Background Cardiopulmonary Resuscitation, CPR, although life-saving may cause chest wall injury, CWI, because of the physical force exerted on the thorax. The impact of CWI on clinical outcome in this patient group is unclear. The primary aim of this study was to investigate the incidence of CPR-related CWI and the secondary aim to study injury pattern, length of stay, LOS, and mortality in patients with and without CWI. Methods This is a retrospective study of adult patients who were admitted to our hospital due to cardiac arrest, CA, during 2012-2020. Patients were identified in the Swedish CPR registry and those undergoing CT of the thorax within two weeks after CPR were included. 
patients with traumatic CA, chest wall surgery prior or after CA were excluded. Demographic data, type and length of CPR, type of CWI, loss on mechanical ventilator, MV, in intensive care unit, ICU and in hospital, H and mortality were studied. Results Of 1,715 CA patients, 245 met the criteria for inclusion. The majority, 79%, of the patients suffered from CWI. Chondral injuries and rib fractures were more common than sternum fractures, 95% versus 57%, and 14% had a radiological flail segment. Patients with CWI were older, 66.5 plus or minus 15.4 versus 52.5 plus or minus 15.2, p less than 0.001. No difference was seen in MV loss, 3, 0 to 43, versus 3, 0 to 22, p equals 0.430, ICU loss, 3, 0 to 48, versus 3, 0 to 24, p equals 0.427, and H loss, 5.5, 0 to 85, versus 9.0, 1 to 53, p equals 0.306, in patients with or without CWI. Overall mortality within 30 days was higher with CWI, 68% versus 47%, p equals 0.007. Conclusion Chest wall injuries are common after CPR and 14% of patients had a flail segment on CT. Elderly patients have an increased risk of CWI, and a higher overall mortality is seen in patients with CWI. Next article is from the American Journal of Surgery. Tissue plasminogen activator challenged thromboelastography is the most accurate assay in predicting the need for massive transfusion in hypotensive trauma patients. Background. Tissue plasminogen activator, PA, added to thrombolistography, TEG, detects hyperfibrinolysis by measuring clot lysis at 30 minutes, PA challenge tag. We hypothesize that PA challenge tag is a better predictor of massive transfusion, mount, than existing strategies in trauma patients with hypotension. Methods. Trauma activation patients, TAP, 2014-2020, with 1, systolic blood pressure less than 90 mm of mercury, early or 2, those who arrived normotensive but developed hypotension within 1H post-injury, delayed, or analyzed. Mount was defined as greater than 10 RBCU slash 6H post-injury or death within 6H after greater than or equal to 1 RBC unit. Area under the receiver operating characteristics curves were used to compare predictive performance. Uden index determined optimal cutoffs. Results. The challenge tag was the best predictor of mount in the early hypotension subgroup, N equals 212, with positive, PPV, and negative predictive values, NPV, of 75.0% and 77.6%, respectively. The challenge tag was a better predictor of mount than all but TASH, PPV equals 65.0%, NPV equals 93.3%, in the delayed hypotension group, N equals 125. Conclusions. The PA challenge tag is the most accurate predictor of mount in trauma patients arriving hypotensive and offers early recognition of mount in patients with delayed hypotension. (music) 
to observe or not to observe, evaluation of the modified brain injury guideline management of small volume intracranial hemorrhage. Introduction Patients with small volume intracranial hemorrhage, ICH, are categorized as modified brain injury guidelines, VIG, 1 and are managed with a 6-hour emergency department, ED, observation period. The current study aimed to describe the big one patient population and determine the utility of the ED observation period. Methods A retrospective analysis was performed on trauma patients with small volume ICH. Exclusion criteria were Glasgow Coma Scale, GCS, less than 13 and penetrating injuries. Results 359 patients were identified over the 8-year study period. The most common ICH was SDH, 52.7%, followed by SA, 50.1%. Two patients, 0.56%, had neurologic deterioration, but neither had radiographic progression. Overall, 14.3% of the cohort had radiographic progression, none required neurosurgical intervention. Four patients, 1.1%, had readmission related to TBI from the index admission. Conclusion There were no patients with small-volume ICH that required neurosurgical intervention despite a small subset of patients having radiographic or clinical deterioration. Patients who meet the big one criteria may be managed safely without an ED observation period. Not all cholecystitis is created equal, disparities contributing to ED presentation and failure of the outpatient algorithm. Background The majority of final surgical pathology FSP, from both emergency department, ED, and outpatient clinic, OC, patients is chronic cholecystitis. We aim to differentiate these presentations and identify disparities associated with ED utilization and OC failure. Methods Retrospective chart review of single institution ED and OC cholecystectomies for cholelithiasis. Clinical presentation, FSP, demographics, and zip code poverty, CCP, levels were evaluated. Data analysis by summary statistics, bivariate comparisons, and logistic regression. Results Of 299 OC and 308 at patients, OC was more likely to be Caucasian, 78% versus 46%, P less than 0.0001, and insured, 89% versus 32%, P less than 0.0001. 71.8% of OC with CCP less than 10% had insurance versus only 32.5% in CCP greater than 20%. Uninsured ED or was 13.1, 95% C 8.7 to 22.9. Conclusion Uninsured ED patients are vulnerable to fail the outpatient algorithm, especially when misdiagnosed by U.S. Clinical diagnosis of cholecystitis in this population should warrant offering of urgent cholecystectomy. Pentobarbital coma for management of intracranial hypertension following traumatic brain injury, lack of early response to treatment portends poor outcomes. Introduction Traumatic brain injury, TBI results in the death of over 50,000 and the permanent disability of 80,000 individuals annually in the United States. 
Much of the permanent disability is the result of secondary brain injury from intracranial hypertension, ICH. Pentobarbital coma is often instituted following the failure of osmotic interventions and sedation to control intracranial pressure, ICP. The goal of this study was to evaluate the efficacy of pentobarbital coma with respect to ICP management and long-term functional outcome. Methods Traumatic brain injury patients who underwent pentobarbital coma at a level 1 trauma center between 2014 and 2021 were identified. Patient demographics, injury characteristics, Glasgow Coma Scale, GCS, scores, intracranial pressures, ICPs, and outcomes were obtained from the trauma registry as well as inpatient and outpatient medical records. The proportion of ICPs below 20 for each hospitalized patient day was calculated. The primary outcome measured was GCS score at the last follow-up visit. Results 25 patients were identified, and the majority were male, and equals 23, 92%, with an average age of 30.0 years plus or minus 12.9 and median injury severity score of 30, 21.5 to 33.5. ICPs were monitored for all patients with a median of 464, 326 to 1034 measurements. The average hospital stay was 16.9 days plus or minus 11.5 and intensive care stay was 16.9 plus or minus 10.8 days. 9, 36.0%, patients survived to hospital discharge. Mean follow-up time in months was 36.9 plus or minus 28.0, min max 3 to 80. Seven of the nine surviving patients presented as GCS 15 on follow-up, and the remaining were both GCS 9. Patients presenting at last follow-up with GCS-15 had a significantly higher proportion of controlled ICPs throughout their hospitalization compared to patients who expired or with follow-up GCS less than 15, GCS-15, 88% plus or minus 10% versus GCS less than 15 or dead, 68% plus or minus 22%, P equals 0.006. A comparison of the daily proportion of controlled ICPs by group revealed negligible differences prior to pentobarbital initiation. Groups diverged nearly immediately upon pentobarbital coma initiation with a higher proportion of controlled ICPs for patients with follow-up GCS of 15. Conclusion Patients that do not have an immediate response to pentobarbital coma therapy for ICH universally had poor outcomes. Alternative therapy or earlier palliation should be considered for such patients. In contrast, patients whose ICPs responded quickly to pentobarbital had excellent long-term outcomes. Pre-hospital ECO-2 is predictive of death in intubated and non-intubated patients. Background Pre-hospital identification of shock and trauma patients lacks accurate markers. Low-end tidal carbon dioxide, ECO-2, correlates with mortality in intubated patients. The predictive value of ECO-2 obtained by nasal capnography cannula, NCC, is unknown. We hypothesize that pre-hospital ECO-2 values obtained by NCC and inline ventilator circuit, ILVC, would be predictive of mortality. Methods this was a prospective, observational, multicenter study. ECO2 values were collected by a NCC or through ILVC. Orox were compared with pre-hospital systolic blood pressure, SBP, and shock index, SI. 
The Uden Index defined optimal cutoffs. Results Of 550 enrolled patients, 487, 88.5%, had ECO2 measured through an NCC. Median age was 37, 27 to 52, years, 76.5% were male, median ISS was 13, 5 to 22. Mortality was 10.4%. Minimum pre-hospital ECO2 significantly predicted mortality with an ORAC of 0.76, C0.69 to 0.84, Uden index equals 22 mHg, outperforming SBP with an ORAC of 0.68, C0.62 to 0.74, P equals 0.04, and shock index with an ORAC of 0.67, C0.59 to 0.74, P equals 0.03. Conclusion Pre-hospital ECO2 measured by non-invasive NCC or ILVC may be predictive of mortality in injured patients. Thank you for listening to this week in surgery, your filtered medical journal summary. Have a great week ahead, stay blessed and be humane.